We've been looking at the uh, life of Joseph, and uh, you got a little note-taking guy. We're looking at Genesis uh, 40 right now, Genesis 40, so if you want to pull your Bibles out or uh, if you have the discipline to just stay on the Bible app on your phone, you can just do that. Uh, Genesis 40, and we're, we're continuing to work our way uh, through there. And uh, <clears throat> in your notes, it starts out with a, a little line here. It says this. It says, great plans require great preparation. That is, when God wants to do something powerful and wonderful through a person's life, it doesn't just happen. It takes great preparation. God has to do a work inside of us in that way. And uh, Joseph was a guy that God had great plans for. Uh, He wanted to basically give him a position of unlimited power. You know, there's a saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it's basically that when a person gets, a human being gets into a position of absolute power, their character uh, has a great uh, deal of difficulty. And so they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. And uh, this is one of the things. Now, here was, here was him coming into a position second only to Pharaoh himself uh, very soon. Think of the temptations that he would have faced in that position, temptations to get even with people. All at once, uh, uh, the captain of the, of the king's bodyguard is under him now where he's been you know, held down. Uh, tremendous temptations that he would have battled with. Um, so... He's, God has a plan for him, him to have unlimited power. He has a plan for him to be able to relate to people of great authority. That's not an easy thing to do, to relate to people of authority. There's, uh, people have a tendency to stumble in a couple different ways. Uh, sometimes they'll get so that they look to the person who they see as being the person of power and authority, and they begin to look to them that that person is going to somehow be their source. That person is going to somehow uh, supply for them and help them and this kind of thing, and they, and they mess up in, in that kind of way. And often when you're dealing with, you're working with people uh, in great authority, you can become disillusioned because you soon see that even though the position may, the person may be in a great position, a great position of power, everything else, you begin, you begin to realize their humanity. You begin to see their flaws, their failures, their weaknesses. And if you don't have the right heart, you don't have the right kind of attitude, you can become disillusioned. And so the Lord has to work in his life because he's going to be in this position of, of authority and around people of great authority. And then number three, for him to be in a position of, of, of say, uh, saving his brothers. Now imagine now, here, all these years, at, at this point, it's, we're coming up on uh, maybe 14 years when he gets ready to be lifted up to this high position. But all, all these years, he's been suffering, living as a slave, living in prison for nothing that he has done wrong, basically all started by his brothers. And then as we know, as the story goes on, his brothers end up coming uh, to him for help. They don't realize who he is, but they're coming to him for help. And think of the tremendous uh, self-control it would have taken for him not to strike out in revenge against them. And, and God's doing a big work inside this guy. And then, and then also we see for him to organize and manage saving the world from famine. Basically, he, 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 here's a guy who, it's not just an issue of his character, but his skills have got to be developed because suddenly he's being lifted to a position where he is going to essentially save the whole known world of his time that's in the midst of this great famine and be able to administer that and help that uh, as the Lord has guided and helped him. So God's got a great work for this guy, and a great work requires great 
preparation. Now, there, there are two dimensions to God's preparation. We have the preparation of circumstances. That's having things happen at the right place and at the right time, right? So we got to have the circumstances right. Things got to come together, ha- having that way. But the more the circumstances I don't see as a, as, a, as a big, big problem, the more challenging thing is the preparation of the person. That is, it's one thing to have things happen at the right place and at the right time. It's another thing to have the right person in the right place at the right time. That is that you have developed the maturity, the skills, the abilities, the things that God wants you to have, and you now are at that place where he can put you in the right place at the right time to make a big difference. So how does God prepare a person? Okay, how does he do that? And we see a beautiful, uh, the message version of this verse in James chapter 1. It's a beautiful picture of it. Look, look, Look what he says here. He says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. We should make that our verse for Elam. Don't you think so? You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. How many of you, since you've been here, even, you know, it hasn't even been a full semester, but you found yourself in pressure, right? And your faith life has shown its true colors. Maybe you weren't so happy with what you saw. How many, anybody know what I'm talking about there? Right, that's the, that is the, you know, that, that, that it's, it's a powerful thing. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced, to, uh, forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Everything inside of us is wanting to escape the pressure. But he says, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. That, that, you know, I would say that's 90%. When I think of my job as it relates to the students, of it is to say to you over and over and over again in as many different ways as I can say it to you, let, look look, look at this, let it do its work, right? Don't try to escape. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Let it do its work. That's this pressure, the, the, um, the tests and the challenges. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Why? Because God has great plans for you, and I know the greater the plans, the more refining he's going to have to do in our lives. He's going to be working on us in many, many different ways. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis here. He says this, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. Anybody say amen to that one? Yeah, he shouts in our pain. That's we, we, we can hear things and sometimes in a way we, we can't. So we see in Joseph's story that God uses the mistreatment he receives at the hands of people to prepare him. And I just put in your notes just four kinds of mistreatment. I'm going to focus on one of them, the last one uh, in my talk today, but four types of mistreatment. He he. he he, he experiences undeserved mistreatment from his family, okay? Undeserved mistreatment from his family. It's amazing how that can happen. You know, I've seen families just go crazy sometimes. I, m- I remember when I first began in the ministry, I, um, a young kid was 
coming to the youth group I was helping to work with and lead, and, and uh, he was really coming on strong, but he was getting tremendous hostility from his parents. I remember when I went to sit down with his parents. Here was a kid who had, was totally on the wrong path and now was turned around and making good steps. And I remember uh, his parents looking at me and saying this, I'd rather have my kid on drugs than at that church. I'd rather have my kid on drugs than at that church, right? Just, you know, just terrible mistreatment from family. It happens. Another way that we see another kind of mistreatment is unexpected restrictions of circumstances. You know, all the ones you've been planning on something and you lose your job or you, you're, you're injured and all at once you thought you were going to, life was going to go this way and now you've got this restriction that's on your life or some health issue comes that you didn't plan for or something. Unexpected restrictions of circumstances that come to you. And then number three, untrue accusations. These are, this is the kind of mistreatment. This is the stuff that God uses. Now, God doesn't cause it. But God uses it to shape us. I can remember one time um, I was at really the peak of a lot of my traveling ministry. Sometimes I was traveling uh, more than six months of the year and traveling and speaking, going all doing all this kind of stuff. And all at once I had uh, a couple people contact me and cancel uh, uh, dates that they had for me to come. And the first time it happened, I didn't think much of it, and then it happened again. And then finally the third time was a guy I knew a little bit better. And I asked him, what's going on? How come you're, you're canceling this meeting? And he said, well, we heard about what's happening with you and your wife. And I said, well, what do you mean? You know, that you're separated and you're doing this and doing that. And, and basically the implication was that I always had found some, somebody else that I was running around with. And I, Where did you hear that? You know, my wife and I are doing fine. I, I mean, but someone had begun this accusation about me, right? And this thing had begun to spread. And all at once now my ministry was being uh, limited and pushed back and stuff like that. All because of a false accusation that had been made against me. But things like this happen to us. How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to process those kinds of experiences? And then the last one that I'm going to focus on a little bit more as we talk the last kind of mistreatment that we experience is what I call unfair abandonment. Unfair abandonment. When you feel delay, when you feel neglected, when you feel like uh, nobody cares, especially God, and you feel abandoned, this is one of the tools that God will use to, to deal with you and to work uh, uh, in your life. So Joseph's been in prison for a year, uh, and it's, it's not been especially a fun experience. As a matter of fact, in the book of Psalms, it describes it this way. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters, and he himself was laid in irons. So it's not just like he comes in and everything goes his way, you know, uh, kind of a thing. He does get the favor of the, of the, um, uh, the jailer, but it doesn't start out that way. He, they afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. Remember, for nothing that he, he did. But eventually the chief jailer is uh, committed to Joseph's charge, all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. And so we're down at the end of his first year, 
And the captain of the bodyguard, Potiphar, the guy who actually put him in jail, now puts him in charge of two very special prisoners. And we're in Genesis chapter 40, starting with verse 1. And this is what it says. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. Now, um, uh, we don't know exactly what happened here. He says he, he basically gets infuriated. Now, we do know the jobs of these people. For example, the baker, obviously, he makes the food that the king eats. And the, the uh, cupbearer has this position of, of uh, basically being kind of the royal food tester in case there's poison or something like that that, that is involved. And so somehow... We don't know exactly what happened, but from what we can tell from this is somehow these guys, something happened. There was some kind of goof up that happened. Maybe somebody was making an attempt on Pharaoh's life. Something was happening, and he doesn't know, so he begins an investigation. Pharaoh essentially begins an investigation. He doesn't know. Is the baker the problem? Is my cupbearer the problem? I don't know who the problem is. Put them both in prison until we figure out what's going on. And so that's, what, that's where we find ourselves in the, in the story. And it says, the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. And then verse 5, then the cupbearer and the baker uh, of, for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? And then he said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. And then Joseph said to them, uh, do not interpretations belong to the God? Please tell me. Now, right away when you look at this, one of the things I want you to see is the growth that's happened in Joseph, right? Remember Joseph, he was so bold on sharing his dreams with his brothers with absolutely no sensitivity to how they might read it or what might come across or anything else. Now we see a different Joseph. After, after years now, over 10, 11 years now we're looking at, after 10, 11 years of going through slavery, going through prison, he comes in and he sees these guys and he looks at them and he goes, what's, what's going on? You, you, you. He all at once is sensitive to them. You follow what's happening? This is like part of the growth, part of the development that's been happening in him. And, uh, and he's rejected self-pity. You can see that. He has plenty of reason to be sad himself, but he doesn't focus on himself, right? He could, be, he could be in there and he could be going, you know, they could be going, you know, well, we had these dreams. There's nobody to interpret them. And he could have looked at them and said, well, don't look at me. Dreams have been no good for me. I had all kinds of dreams. I thought, you know, I, you know he, he, could be, he could be totally focused on himself. As a matter of fact, he could say, dreams, don't, let's not talk about dreams. You know, he might, he might, he might have seen himself as like, that's, that's something I don't want to go. Where I've gone, I've gone there before, and I've ended up in trouble. I've ended up in problems. But he doesn't focus on himself at all, but instead he focuses on these, uh, these guys. Now, when we talk about the interpretation of dreams, just a little side, side note I want to say to you about this. Sometimes you'll see things right now where people will do things like um, they'll put out books, you know, 
if you see a red ball in the dream, a red ball means blah, blah, blah. You know, if you see a, you know, a, a tree, a tree means da, da, da. This is not biblical dream interpretation. Biblical dream interpretation is a prophetic act. That is, the person doesn't start out going all, all, in all dreams when you see somebody flying, it means this, you know. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, 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 he hears the dream and he holds it before the Lord and the Lord speaks to him a word, right? He speaks a prophetic word to him about the dream. So if anybody tried to sell you on a course or something, you know, uh, for dream interpretation and they'll tell you the, you know, 70 different images that mean such and such, you know, don't buy that, okay? Uh, you need prophetic anointing to do this job. Okay, so, so uh, verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine there were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cup bearer. And then Joseph says something here. He says, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. He, you know, Joseph has grown a lot, but he's still got something here. He's, he's wanting to help God out in this situation. He's, he's saying, well, you know, God gave me this contact, okay? Maybe I can manipulate this and get some help from myself or whatever. He says, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, for I was, uh, in fact, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. So, you know, he, he, he's given them the dream interpretation, but now he's thinking, oh, I want to take advantage of this moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, talk to this guy and see if he'll, you know, out of his gratitude for me giving this interpretation, he'll take care of me. He's not seeking the Lord. He's not praying. He's not, you know, he's trying to help God out. You ever try to help God out? Huh? Trying to make, see, he's trying to help God out. And, um, and, you know, like I talked to you about, when we're around people of authority, there's that tendency to think somehow the person is going to be my salvation instead of God is going to be my salvation. People will always disappoint you. They, are, they can't, even people who love you and want to do the right thing, and want to do, they're never going to be able to do it. But you have to look beyond them and see the hand of God. You've got to say, okay, the Lord is, is in this. And, and so, uh, so we still see, we see the guy is still in process. He's still getting worked with. And, uh, and the problem is that, uh, that, that it's two years after this, he's totally forgotten. We'll see it in a moment. And then verse 16, it says, when the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, and this guy's about to get a really disappointment. He says, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there was some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. And then Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. You know, I kind of think to myself, Joseph, couldn't you have said that a little softer? You know, is there, 
There's a way you could have said, you know, things aren't going to be working out so good or, you know, but he just, he just lets the guy have it. Okay, bam, he just does. And then, and then we find ourselves in verse 20. He says, thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Uh, It says, now it happened at the end of two full years, Pharaoh had a dream. So we know how long exactly it was. He gets forgotten for two years. Now think about it. Joseph steps out, interprets the dream, gives it to him, and he, he, you know, he, and he says to the guy, remember me when you come into the king's palace. Remember me when you get a chance now. And he's, he, you can imagine the first week after the cupbearer gets restored, he's probably waiting down there thinking, oh man, that guy, he's going to take care of me. I took care of him. He's going to take care of me. This is going to be great. And he's waiting, and a week goes by, and two weeks goes by, and three weeks goes by, and ten weeks goes by. Are you with me? Forgotten. Forgotten, abandoned, neglected, right? And, and, and it goes on for two years like that. And, and so this is what I want to talk to you about just in these last few minutes. God wants to do the last preparation on Joseph, and he uses one of his greatest purifying tools, delay, seeming abandonment, and temporary neglect. Delay, seeming abandonment, and temporary neglect neglect. Many years ago, when, uh, when my kids were young, Toby was probably around uh, maybe 11, and Todd was about 7, Tracy was about 5, my daughter, uh, we were going for summer vacation. We were going out to a camp out in Indiana and driving across the top of Ohio, and we decided to go to Cedar Point Amusement Park. Anybody here ever been to Cedar Point? Okay, yeah, Cedar Point. Woo! Yeah, come on. Cedar Point has some of the largest roller coasters. Basically, Cedar Point is known all about roller coasters. I cannot myself go on a roller coaster. Uh, It totally freaks me out. Uh, My wife laughs her head off because I usually scream in tongues (laughs) as I'm sailing along. So she only has got me on a few. But my wife loves roller coasters. She loves going on roller coasters. And she wanted to get on this particular one. At that time, it was the, the Magnum uh, 2000 XL or something like this, or, and, and it was like, it was like a, an awesome, you know, the, the hottest awesome roller coaster and all this kind of thing. So, so I, say, I say to my wife, okay, look, you and the boys can go on roller coasters. I'll take care of Tracy, the little five-year-old. Everything will be good. We'll have a fun day at Cedar Point. So we get to Cedar Point, uh, you know, if you've ever gone to like Disney or any of these big parks, Universal Studios or something like this, you know, the parking is a big deal, right? You, get, you finally get your spot and then, you know, you have to try and memorize where it is because it's literally there are vast fields of cars in every direction. So, you know, it's Mickey 8 or something and, you know, you're, 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 that kind of a thing. And so uh, we park the car and uh, get out, go into the park. And uh, we're standing in line. I'm, I've got uh, little Tracy, and we're just about to go off and do some stuff. We're standing in line. And I reach down. You know how when you have a habit of putting something in your pocket, sometimes during the day, you'll just kind of reach down. At least guys are like this. Maybe gals don't do it the same way. But uh, you reach down and just kind of 
hit that, to, you know, is that familiar thing there, right? And so I hit my pocket, and I went, my keys, where are my keys? And, and my keys, you know, and I, you know, and I, you know, like a little jacket on it, you know. And so I say to Terry, Terry, you got, do you have the keys? Do you have, you know? And she says, no, no, no. I said, okay, okay, okay. And, uh, well, you guys go on the ride. I said, Tracy and I will walk out to the parking lot, and we'll, you know, see what we can find. So we walk out to the parking lot. I come find my car again. I look in the window, and there hanging, you know, in the car, all the locked-up car, are my keys, right, hanging inside the car. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convince Tracy that this is what an amusement park is like. You, you know, you walk through the parking lot two or three times. You know, I'm trying to, you know, she's only five years old. So she's pretty naive. So I'm, I'm, I, so I'm saying, okay, come on, Tracy. Oh, this is fun. This is great. We ran out here. Okay. We got to go get some help now. And, and so I run to, you know, park services, right? Park services. They have this lady sitting behind a piece of glass with a little circle hole in the glass, you know, kind of thing, and uh, so I lean down the little circle hole, and I, I say, oh, I, I say, it looks like I locked my keys in my car, you know, I'm figuring they have somebody they call for things like this, and uh, she says, okay, she said, no problem, no problem, she says, go out by the red pole by the parking lot, and just stand there, and one of the people will drive by, and they will help you, I'll, I'll tell them, I'll call them, and they'll come help you, okay, sounds good, I'm walking out to the red pole, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what the people who work here call this pole. You know, the idiot pole. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> the stupid people pole. You know, what, you know, what do they call it? But I come out there, and there actually are four or five other people already sitting there. There's like a, uh, there, there's like a little piece of grass and a red, big, tall red pole, a little piece of grass. And all the rest of it is like blacktop, 90-degree, you know, blacktop, uh, you know, out there. And so we come in, and I come to the pole, and so I just talk to her. She's going to come in a second. I'm just like, one hour goes by. Now, I got my five-year-old, right? My five-year-old is like, you know, by the end of the hour, she's kind of laying over the curb, you know, kind of melting, actually, you know, in the, in the heat, you know, of summer. And, and uh, she's, uh, uh, she's just, you know, and, and so, so, I, so I go back to the window. I say, Come on, honey, we'll go back to the window. There must be something wrong. So we go back to the window, and I... I, I, I get down, look in the little hole, and I say, I say, I say, uh, yeah, nobody's coming, nobody's coming, we're out there, been out there for an hour, hour waiting, nobody's coming, and oh, they're going to be there, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, oh, okay, 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 well, we'll go back out there again, I don't know if you want to give them another call or anything, but okay, we'll go back out there again, so we walk back out, and we go back to the idiot pole, and, uh, and uh, so we're there waiting, we're there waiting. Finally, after about another 45 minutes, I look off in the distance, and I see like a, looks like a little, little van or something kind of driving, you know, and I, and, and I see it, and some of the other people see it too, who are just as desperate as me, and they go, look, look, there's a van, that must be them, there's a van. let's go get them, and so we start running across the parking lot, you know. <laughs> Now it's 95 degrees, you know. We're running across the parking lot trying to get this thing, and the, and, and the van drives away. You know? Oh, no, no. So we go back again to the, to the spot and sitting there. And Tracy, now, I, I've tried to convince her that this is fun, but she really is not buying it anymore. And, uh, and I, I'm getting so frustrated. I'm so frustrated. I'm so frustrated. And, uh, and so I think, okay, I'm going to go back and talk to that lady again at the window and so I go back there and I I see her 
But in my mind, I have thoughts. Like, could I get my hand through that hole? <laughs> Just kind of grab her and pull her up to the window, you know. And get somebody out of here, you know what I mean? And I'm, and I'm, 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 I have a little five-year-old with me, so I'm not doing it out loud, but in my brain, I am swearing up a storm, right? I mean, I am like cursing, foul, Jesus could hear it, I'm sure. You know, I mean, it was like, I'm cursing, cursing, you know, everything. and I'm come, come, and I say to the lady, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get her to come to near the hole so I can get her. And I, I say, nobody's come yet, you know, and, and, but she's been there before she's sitting back from that hole she's not you know she's not letting me get a hand on her or anything you know and uh I'm sorry I'm sorry well they they should be there you know anytime anytime and and I just don't know what to do so I go back out to the parking lot and I decide I'm going to go over because it looks like uh it looks like the uh, uh, uh truck has come and uh is helping somebody so I'm going to go over he says go over your car and I'll drive by where your car is, you know. So I go over to the car, and I'm standing by the car, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm watching people come out of the park. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, it's a wonderful day. We're riding roller coasters. Ha, 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 ha. You know, and they're walking by me, and little, little melted Tracy, you know, and they're, and they're, they're, you know, and, 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 and they're, you know, they look like they're having so much fun. And then there are people going into the park still. People going into the park. <laughs> We're going into the park. Isn't it going to be great in the park? You know? But I'm not in the park. I'm in the parking lot, right, waiting and waiting. So I'm sitting on the curb. Tracy has kind of crawled under a bush to get out of the sun. And, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, you know, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. And all once the thought comes to my mind. Now, this is like six, seven hours in. The thought comes to my mind, why don't you pray? I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes praying is the last thing I do. You know, I think to myself, you got to really be desperate to pray. You know what I mean? It's, you know, I should try and do everything I can do first, right? I should do all my effort, all my, and, and, and so sure enough, I'm, and, and I'm sure God is not necessarily pleased with this, this aspect of me. As a matter of fact, I think it was part of what he was dealing with in this whole day. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm there sitting on the curb, little Tracy's under the bush, and I just bow my head, and I just go, Lord, uh, you know, I don't know why I didn't think about this earlier, but could you please help me? Just help me get this car open, you know, just help me somehow. And as soon as I pray that prayer, the little van pulls up right in front of me, just like that. You know, guy gets out, hey, how you doing? Pops the door on my car, get my keys, you know. Sometimes more happens in the parking lot than ever happens in the park. 
remember in 1994, we were in the midst of a huge revival that was happening. People were literally, we were having services uh, 10 hours a day and, and uh, people were coming from all over and tremendous things were happening. And for a while, for over a year, I was traveling other places and helping those places experience the same revival that we were experiencing. And, and one place I went to in Michigan, I spoke and at the end of the session, God moved in some credible ways. And at the end of the session, this, this woman came up to me and she said, I don't get it. She said, I'm here and nothing is happening in me. So I see other people are feeling something and being touched by something and things are going on in their life. But nothing's happening in my life. Nothing seems to be going on inside of me. And I knew what she was looking for. She was looking for an experience because that particular revival, people were having laughing experiences and just falling under the power of the presence of God and, and, and this kind of, she was looking for an experience. And I don't know why I did it, but she finished her talking to me like that. And I said to her, I said, I said, I said you really struggle with not getting your own way, don't you? And she looked at me and she burst into tears. You see, more was happening in her through neglect, what she felt was neglect. More was happening in her in the parking lot than, than in the park. Are you with me? Sometimes God has you in the parking lot. You feel like, wow, why don't I feel things like other people feel things why why aren't i experiencing things the way other people are experiencing things why does it seem like uh, you know other people are getting it but i'm not really getting it i'm not getting whatever is going on you just feel neglected sometimes it's neglect maybe you you know from people you know, you just think, well, some the people should be doing this for me, or somebody should be talking to me, or somebody should be helping me, or somebody. And you, you're, you're looking to people to solve your problems. You're looking to the school to solve your problems. You're looking to your family to solve your problems. And all the time, you're experiencing the pressure that we read about in James. The pressure that causes your true colors to come out so that God can heal you and change you and do the things that he wants to do inside of you. This is, this, is the, this is the life you've committed yourself to. This is a part that, that it's not enough for you just to show up, but that God is going to work inside of you to make you the kind of person that he can use to do a great thing on planet Earth, to make an impact on planet Earth. When I say a great thing, you may never get celebrated, you may never experience men's applause, you may never be lifted up in fame or anything like that, but I'm telling you right now, sometimes it's the smallest thing. I think of when we went for our accreditation back uh, a couple years ago, the first time, and, and the guy who was interviewing us to determine whether or not we would get our accreditation, he, he looked at me and he said that, he said, when I was in Africa, he said, a student from Elam came and taught me the Bible. They lived in my village and taught me the Bible. And, and, uh, and, and I consider myself, he said, I consider myself an Elam alumni, even though I've never been to the school. And I, said, I, I looked at him and I, thought, and I thought to myself, isn't that, that's so crazy. 
50 years ago, God sends an Elam student to a little village in Africa to minister to a 10-year-old boy who now, 50 years later, is in the position to determine whether or not the school becomes accredited. Is that weird or what? See? So when I say God's going to do something great, don't be thinking in terms of fame or fortune or that kind of stuff. I'm saying that you could be the right person at the right time. You with me? That's the kind of preparation. The right person at the right time, at the right place, that you make an impact. All of it's been to prepare you for that impact, just like it was with Joseph. All of the working to prepare him for that moment when Pharaoh would have a dream and he would be called up to help him. Let's just bow our heads and our hearts here. We'll just... You thought you were signing up to be in the park, like me. But somehow you feel like you've ended up in the parking lot. You feel neglected. You feel abandoned. You feel forgotten. You feel like not even God's really getting it. As a matter of fact, some of you have been plotting in your own mind. You've been saying to yourself, I'm not even going to talk to anybody about it. I'm not even going to say anything, but I'm not coming back. I, you know... Elam, I don't know who it's for, but it must be for different people than me because uh, I, don't, I, I just don't seem to have what it takes to cut it in that situation. All of this is just the enemy's effort to knock you out and God's effort to take advantage of that to purify you and to prepare you for the great work that he has for you. And you need to recommit yourself to the preparation process. Remember what James said? He said, don't try to escape. Don't try to get out of what God is doing, the tests and the challenges and the pressure. Don't try to escape, he said, but let it have its perfect work. Let it do what needs to get done. And I want to just ask you right now, would you give the Lord permission to use the parking lot as well as the park? Would you just say to him right now, Lord, do what you have to do. Do what you have to do. Complete the work inside of me. Just offer yourself to him afresh right now. Just say, do what you have to do, Lord. If it's the parking lot, then I'll take it, the parking lot until that moment comes when my true colors get exposed and then maybe I can learn to pray. Maybe I can learn how to grow and become sensitive to others. Maybe I can learn some of these things that you're wanting to work inside of me. Getting my eyes off of myself, breaking out of self-pity, stepping away from revenge, all the different things that we're seeing in the life of Joseph. Maybe I can learn, do what you need to do in me. I want to be the right man, the right woman, at the right time, at the right place. Prepare me. I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.